Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. Uh, it is September the 12th, 2022. It's almost 80 years after the Second World War ended, but judging from the kinds of conversations we've had on the show, you'd think that the war had never ended. That was the conversation I had with the great historian of the Second World War, Richard Overy, who has a new book out recently, Blood and Ruins, The Last Imperial War, uh, 1931 to 1945. And it seems as if every week we examine the Second World War from some perspective or other. Uh, last week, had a conversation with Damien Lewis, a military historian on the uh, on the great uh, American uh, artist and indeed, according to him, spy Josephine Baker. He has a new book out, Agent Josephine, uh, America, and I'm using his pronunciation of Josephine, American beauty, French hero, British spy. We've done a lot of shows about kids and education and the Second World War. One recently with the British author, Deborah, uh, Deborah It was entitled, can you all still hear me? Uh, which was entitled, The School Escaped the Nazis. It's about a school teacher in Germany who quite literally relocated her school just before the beginning of the Second World War. Lots of shows, of course, about resistance to the Nazis. One with the writer Julie, Judy Battalion. She has a book out, The Light of Days, about young female Jewish resistance to uh, the Nazis. Um, and then even books about children on the other side. We did a show uh, month or two ago with the writer uh, Helene Munson on Hitler's boy soldiers. Um, the book was called Hitler's boy soldiers, how my father's generation was trained to kill and sent to die for Germany. Of course, many, many more stories about the war that haven't been told or are to be told. And one of those um, is the story that we're going to discuss today with my guest, Kristen Beck. Uh, she's the author of her second novel, The Winter Orphans. It's a novel about children in the Second World War. And Christian is joining us from a smoky Washington state. Uh, Kristen, tell me uh, about this book, uh, your new book, your new novel, The Winter Orphans. Uh, sure. Why is it a novel rather than a nonfiction book since it's based on a true story? It is based on a true story. Um, however, as a novelist, I feel that sometimes fiction is a really good vehicle for learning about the past because fiction allows us to imagine what people were feeling and their interior lives during these events. Um, so even though this is based on true events and true characters, I think that fiction is helpful in terms of sort of experiencing the interior landscapes of what these events were like. Kristen, I've always been, got to be careful with novelists. When it comes to nonfiction, I can give the plot away, but I don't want to give too much of the plot away because we want people to read the book, which is just out. But 
perhaps you might get an an introduction to the the story. What is what is this book? Um, what is the the, the narrative? What, what 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 is its overall structure? Give us a, a tantalizing glimpse of a okay. yes. of, 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 a, of a deeply moving and troubling story. So this story is about 100 Jewish refugee children who, on the eve of war, escaped from Germany and Austria. Um, they were sent by their parents, who were hoping to save their lives. And they fled first to Belgium and then later to southern France when Belgium was um, invaded by Germany as well. And when they were in southern France, they wound up in a Swiss Red Cross children's colony. Um, the Swiss Red Cross had several of these colonies across the country, and they cared there for displaced children. So these children ended up living in an old chateau in um, southern France. And the woman who ran the chateau was named Rusli Neff, and she was a real person. And um, she was kind of a prickly character, kind of a difficult character from all accounts. But when the chateau uh, fell under danger, and danger literally came knocking on the door, Rusli stepped up in an incredible way to save the children under her care. And she was joined in that fight by another real woman named Anne-Marie Piguet, who had grown up on the border of France and Switzerland, and her father and grandfather were foresters. So she grew up uh, hiking these mountain trails, and she knew this dense forest like the back of her hand. So when the children needed a way to escape from France, Anne-Marie realized that she had just the right expertise to help with that. So that's kind of the premise of the story. Um, it's based on real events. It does have a third point of view character who is uh, actually a fictional character. She's a young girl who lives at the Chateau, but she's also heavily inspired by the real children that survived these events. Uh, your first novel, uh, Courage, My Love, is also a novel about resistance to fascism. What is it about the Second World War that makes you, as a, as a novelist, want to write books about it? Yeah, so um, my grandmother was a nurse in World War II. She was a nurse for the Canadian Army. And um, I grew up really hearing her stories. She stayed with us often, and I knew her really well. She didn't live too far from where we were. So um, I grew up hearing about the Second World War from her perspective. And when she was there, she actually met my grandfather. She, um, she was in a field hospital that followed the D-Day invasion. And then she worked in Normandy and in Belgium. And when she was in Belgium, she met my grandfather, who was an American captain. So um, I sort of grew up with this strong legacy about World War II. And I think what draws me to stories of women in particular is that my grandmother, when she was an elderly lady, um, she was tiny and she was very cute and charming. And she'd raised four children and had uh, just a very typical life for her generation outwardly. That's what people would see. But she had this remarkable past that I think most people would never guess at. And uh, growing up knowing that past, I just developed a fascination for these untold stories, especially untold stories about women, because for many years, we just overlooked their contributions during the war. Speaking of women's stories, as I said in the introduction, did a show last week about Josephine Baker, this remarkable woman who was also, uh, at least according to Damien Lewis, um, a really central spy for the British and, and French in the war against Germany, also did something with Julie Battalion on uh, female resistance, the light of days. Do you think that in the traditional historiography and perhaps of the fictional accounts of the Second World War, not enough attention has been focused on on, on female resistance to fascism? 
Well, I think recently we've seen a lot of really wonderful stories about that. Um, there's been a surge over the past handful of years about women's stories. But I do think overall, if we're looking at sort of the span of decades, um, that's a relatively new phenomenon. I, you know, I grew up hearing my grandmother's stories, but in, in the media, I would see stories about what the men did during the war, which of course is laudable. And those are incredible stories as well. Um, but there was kind of this silent, this, the, the women's stories were sort of silent for a very long time. And uh, my grandmother in particular shared that when she returned from the war, um, she was told to go back to hearth and home. That was sort of the, the phrase that these were given. And they were instructed not to share about the really gritty parts of their experience. Um, and because it was unladylike. Uh, uh, just could you clarify, where, where, who was telling your grandmother this? Uh, the, the army, the Canadian army, that was the message that she shared with me that she had heard from her superiors. Um, and the women really, they went home and they generally didn't share about their experiences until they were older women. And, um, that's what happened in my own family when she was. You hear the same though. Um, you hear the same Kristen about men. Most people don't like talking about the war, especially the second world war that was so profoundly unsettling, uh, particularly mm -hmm. people who, who, who saw the, the upfront, the crimes of the Nazis. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's not something that people really want to share, is it? I mean, especially if you participate. Well, that is a really good point. I think that's part of why these stories start to emerge now, um, you know, a generation after, because my, my grandmother did tell her story, but I know that lots of people didn't. My grandfather didn't speak of his experiences much at all. Um, and I think it's hard sometimes when you've lived through something to share about it, which is maybe why we, you know, you, you mentioned we have this, this fascination with World War II stories now. And I wonder if that's part of why they're emerging, because we're distanced enough that we can go back and explore these stories um, without the pain that that would probably dredge up for a lot of the people who lived through it. I think another reason why we're so fascinated with World War II, why perhaps in many of our minds it hasn't really ended yet, is because it's the, the last great war that pitted unambiguous evil against what seems at least mostly to be good. Mm -hmm. I think that's really true. Um, in these stories, we know who the, who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And I think there's something about that that's... Um, I think as a reader, sort of reassuring, you know who to root for. And um, and of course, the stories that we tell are often stories of heroism where there were positive outcomes. And uh, so perhaps that's why these stories are so popular now. As a double moral attraction, shall we say, about writing about children in the Second World War, because they are, of course, innocence in the, in the midst of all this evil. That's why the, the dead... Deborah Cabri book on the school that escaped the Nazis, I think is so resonant and moving. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how much of a challenge was it for you as a, as, as a novelist to write about children and their minds and what they were experiencing in this war? Well, I was for many years before being a writer full time, I was a high school teacher. Um, and then I also have two children of my own. So in many ways, that part didn't feel over challenging. Um, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of what it's like to lead a group of kids just because I was a high school teacher for so long and also um, kind of what it's like to be a teacher. And I think it, some of those things don't change no matter what you're living through or what time frame you're living in. 
um, anyways, a lot of these children were experiencing uh, these horrific tragedies and then they were also growing up and they lived in a group in this ghetto. And so the ones that were teenagers um, sometimes felt romantic relationships and they had friendships and falling outs and all of the things that we would sort of expect of kids of that age. And then of course they were living in this unthinkable time experiencing all of those things as well. It's almost as if you were transporting American kids back there. These were the Jewish kids of, or kids of Jewish families of relatively prosperous Western Germany, right? Well, Germany and Austria, yes. Mm -hmm. So they were, uh, shall we say, assimilated Jews? Um, well, yes, yes, they were. That would be fair uh, to say. The only reason I ask is we had, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a book by Dara Horn. Um, she's a Jewish polemicist, uh, a very interesting, smart one. Mm -hmm. uh, she has a book out, People Love Dead Jews, Report from a Haunted Present, in which she's quite critical of the industry of Anne Frank, of manufacturing this idea that the Holocaust murdered young, sophisticated Western girls like Anne Frank, who was, of course, from Amsterdam. A writer, very gifted on, on many levels. I mean, of course, she's not celebrating the actual death of Frank herself, but it's the way we remember. I'm not suggesting she would say this about your book, but she does argue that we forget the real story of the Second World War, which is that the vast majority of Jews who were killed and Jewish children who were killed would have been killed very far to the east of France and Germany, and, mm -hmm. and Switzerland would have been in the... Uh, in Russia, in Poland. Uh, do you think had this story happened with Polish or Russian Jewish children, it might have been slightly different? It might have been more challenging, more complicated to write about these kids? Well, that is a question. Um, I'm not sure. So a lot of what, a lot of what made these kids... I wouldn't say they were easy to write about. Not, nobody's ever easy out really, but um, what made them accessible to me was that they left lots of diaries and memoirs. And I was able to read their firsthand accounts. And I would venture to think that if um, if they had been Polish, if they had been from the East, and source material like that, um, I think a writer can source materials and create... I would hope that we could create a viable portrayal of their lives during the war as well. They're called the winter orphans. Have they lost their parents or were they separated from their parents? Well, most of them did unfortunately lose their parents during the war. Um, they, in the beginning of the war, of course, they were separated from their parents. Their parents sought ways to get them out of Germany and Austria and, um, ended up sending them to Belgium. We're familiar, I think a lot of people are familiar with the kinder transports that sent children to um, England. But these children ended up in Belgium, which of course didn't end up being a safe place long-term. So they were separated at first. And then of course, as the war went on, their parents were still trapped in Germany and Austria. And um, so many of them did not survive the war. Um, what was their fate? I mean, this is in some ways a happy story, as you suggested. Many of them survived. I don't want to give away the, the story of the book. Mm -hmm. Did most of them end up coming to the United States or Latin America? Did they leave Europe after the war? 
they ended up all over the place. Um, yeah, so some of the children ended up in the United States. Um, some went to Israel and some remained in France. So they they really sort of went all over the world when the war was over with. Um, and yes, and, and I think it's mo most of them did survive. That's part of what makes this um, an inspiring story to remember. Do you think that the experience of the war deepened their sense of Jewishness, changed their sense of who they were? I, I mean, you say some of them ended up in Israel, some came to the West, so it may be different from child to child. I think it probably really varied. Um, you know, there were, it was a fluctuating population of about 100 children, um, and some kind of came and went as the war went on. But um, from what I've read, they all had different experiences and different ways that they saw their identities through the course of the war. And for some children, I think it really did make them embrace their identity as Jewish kids. And they ended up um, seeking out lives after the war that reflected their upbringings. Um, but there, there was a lot of variety within the children as well. Um, you know, some came from more traditional families and some came from less traditional families. So um, I wouldn't say that there was a consistent experience through the group as far as their identity went. Kristen, I know you've got two kids of your own, a 10 and a 13 year old. So obviously writing this book must have been, in that sense, quite hard and challenging. But is there a particular child that you write about in the book that um, stands out that is particularly heroic or memorable? Well, sure. So this book has three point of view characters. Um, there's the two women that were mentioned, Rusley and Anne-Marie, and they were caretakers. And then the third point of view is a fictional girl named Ella. Um, I chose to make her a fictional girl after reading all the source material I could find on this story, because I felt that uh, it was it would be difficult to fictionalize the children that were there that really just, I could only find surface details about their lives and didn't want to imagine their interior landscapes. Um, so Ella is representative of the children and she is 17 when the novel begins um, and she grows up through the course of the novel. And she has a little sister named Hani who she's promised to care for uh, through the war. She's promised her parents that she would look after her sister. And her sister is um, seven. She turns eight and uh, is kind of a precocious, fiery child. And Ella feels that weight uh, very heavily upon her shoulders, though she also loves her sister. And I feel that that was pretty representative of a lot of the experiences. Um, there were siblings that ended up living in the chateau and cared for each other through the war. And... Um, and had different uh, levels of risk during the war because of their ages as well. So that's uh, that's kind of the point of view character for the children in the story. And it was challenging. I, I will say um, it was challenging as a mother, as a parent to write about children in danger. When I first encountered this story, I was just so inspired by the the things that people did to save these children's lives. And that included the parents who sent their children off um, in hopes of finding safety for them. Because as a mother, I can't imagine that kind of sacrifice. Um, so I think they're really the first heroes of this story. And that's how many of the children themselves felt. That was communicated in many of the memoirs and books about the kids. Um, they really credited their parents as their first heroes. And then the people who stepped in to care for them um, were all very heroic. And then the children themselves were incredibly brave through this entire period. So there was a lot of inspiring elements to this story. Um, 
and I felt that it was a story that needed to be told, but it absolutely was challenging to um, write about a situation where children were treated in such an inhumane fashion. Yeah, Kristen, some people might be listening and think it sounds almost too good to be true, almost like a, another version of The Sound of Music. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reality of the war was that most people died, most children died, did a show with Wendy Lauer, The Ravine, a really troubling, moving book about the death of a woman and her son, perhaps, in the Ukraine. Why not just write about the atrocities? Why write about heroism when, in fact, most of the war was enormously bleak uh, and consisted mm -hmm. of, of, of mass murder? Well, I think it's important. Um, I find it important to look at the bright spots in terrible histories uh, because that's where we can really see people uh, being good. You know, this was a, obviously a time of great inhumanity. And this is a story of great humanity and people behaving and acting out of love uh, without without concern for the risk to their own lives. And I think that that is always a story worth telling when people step up and do the right thing, um, no matter the risk to, their, to themselves, because it is the right thing to do. And that's really what this story is about. I wouldn't say it relates much to The Sound of Music. I mean, it's definitely... this well, is it's a Switzerland story. and the Second World War. <laughs> What's that? It's it's the mountains, it's the Alps and the Second World War oh, and sure. children. Yeah, yeah. There are I I'm running away from the Nazis. But it's definitely a story that will um require some I mean you you may cry during this story. This is a not an easy story to um to read in some ways. But I do think in the end it's uplifting because of the uh incredible heroism involved in it. Are there any organizations that come out of it looking better? I mean, certainly it's a book about the International Committee or certainly of the Red Cross. Mm -hmm. and, and how does this book reflect on Switzerland itself? Lots of debate after the war, some of it in enormously controversial and passionate about Swiss complicity in the Holocaust. Well, what's your sense of, of Switzerland's position in this and, and, and how should we think or rethink the Red Cross in the context of your book? Well, I think in this story, both the Red Cross and Switzerland come across, um, it, it, they don't come across great in this story. Um, Switzerland- Not the Red Cross either? No, many of the people that worked for the Red Cross were wonderful and they, and they did amazing things, but they also um, did not protect the children in ways that they could have. And the characters in this book and the real people um, actually defied the Red Cross in order to save the children. So they were instructed to remain neutral and not to do anything that would upset the neutrality of Switzerland. Um, and the women, particularly Rusli and Anne-Marie, they just couldn't accept that. And so they, they defied the Red Cross and actually um, faced punishments for that later. I don't want to give too much of the story away, but um, they they had to go against the Red Cross in this story. And then Switzerland closed its border to um, Jewish refugees. And uh, if if refugees were found, even once they'd passed the border, if they'd illegally crossed the border and they were found within, it, it changed a bit over the years, but 12 to 15 kilometers within the border zone, they would be sent back to France. Um, and of course, when they were sent back to France, the outcome was was tragic because they would be then handed over to the Germans. So um, it's definitely not a story where everybody comes out looking um, like a hero or, or 
that they chose the right things during the war. The reason, of course, why the Second World War has not ended yet and perhaps will never end is because there are always going to be storytellers, fictional, nonfiction like yourself, um, who, who are retelling the story, an enormously important story. Uh, in terms of the research and your experience in writing this book, how do you think differently now about the Second World War, having written this book and then also uh, your last book, Courage, My Love? Well, I mean, I think, how do I think differently? It's it's absolutely a complicated time. I do think sometimes, as we mentioned earlier, um, we're drawn to these stories because evil and good seem very clear during the war um, on the outset. But I think when you dig into these stories, it becomes more complicated. And what I've seen in my research and in writing these books is that people uh, had to constantly decide what they were going to do in these horrific situations. And sometimes the answer wasn't clear. Um, and so it's it was definitely a time that tested morality. And that wasn't always, um, it, it was often ambiguous what the right or the wrong thing to do was. And I think that's interesting to look at in these kinds of stories, because, um, you know, I think part of fiction allows us to to look at our own lives and our own time and the own and the challenges that we all face and think about how we might navigate our own lives. Um, and so reading fiction allows us to look at people who lived through um, dramatic and horrific events and, and imagine what we might do and how we might navigate these kinds of um, challenges and maybe reflect on how that can impact our own lives as well. So I guess to answer the question, I think, um, if anything, I think the more I research and write about World War II, the more complex the time is to me. As some people have written about your book, suggesting it raises the question of, could it happen here? Uh, uh, I'm quoting one, one blogger who said, it's easy to imagine proud boys as brown shirts for the Republican Party. And then they quote, reading the winter orphan, especially scenes where Swiss Red Cross executives casually dismiss the, face, the fate of Jewish children brings up the question of, could it happen here? Sadly, that question has already been answered in the affirmative. Just ask parents of trans children who have, who have to flee Texas to escape child abuse investigations, or the parents of a 10-year-old girl who had to leave Illinois for Indiana to get an abortion after being raped. Do you agree with that, blogger? Do you think that uh, the kinds of issues now raised by tr transgendered immigrants or the abortion issue they they mean that America is, while we might like to think the war has ended, the America of the early 2020s isn't as different from the Europe that you write about? Well, what I always uh, think is that times change and circumstances change, but I don't think people change that much. I think that um, humanity has faced the same kinds of challenges for since humanity began. Um, so I do think that we need to always guard against any kind of hatred uh, or discrimination or prejudice about other kinds of people, because I think it would be foolish to believe that this couldn't happen again. Um, I mean, as we have seen across the world and through history, these kinds of atrocities do repeat and they repeat in various cultures and places in the world. And I don't see any reason why Americans would be immune to that. So I think that's part of why we also write and read these stories 
it is a way to remember what uh, the effects of any kind of hatred or discrimination could be and guard ourselves against that. So were you sort of making an equivalent between dislike and hatred and the German industrial slaughter of six million Jews? No, I mean, obviously what the kinds of things that might be happening here are, um, I would say the very first, the very first kinds of inklings of something like that. I, I don't think that it, I don't think that you can really compare the two. Um, but I do think that you can look at what happened in Germany and the ordinary people that were complicit in that and then take a look at your own prejudices and your own belief systems and guard yourself against harboring any kind of hatred towards other people or just ask yourself um, what kinds of biases you might have. Because that I think is how we prevent something like this from happening again is by being intentional and thoughtful about our own um, perceptions about the rest of the world and other people. But no, I don't think you can say that what happened in Germany is happening now. I think that that is much too broad a brush to use. You said that uh, the experience of writing the book made you realize that human nature doesn't change. What then is your reading of the, the architects of the Holocaust who consciously decided to eliminate these millions of people from the earth? Uh, that hasn't been repeated many times. What drove them? What's your, what's your well, interpretation of, of, of senior Nazism? I think the Holocaust is unique in the sense that it was so premeditated for so many years. Um, and that's what makes it, of course, so chilling and horrific. Uh, but we have had other atrocities. I, I think the Holocaust definitely stands out as um, one of the worst examples of what human beings can do to one another in history. Um, but of course, there are other atrocities that have happened and happened throughout the world. And that's what I mean about human nature not changing too much. I do think that we have the capability to be very good to one another. And we have the capability to be very uh, cruel and awful to one another as well. Um, and I think it's foolish to imagine that we couldn't uh, fall into something as dangerous or as hateful as what's happened in the past. Um, I hope that the, the level of atrocity in the Holocaust, I would hope that that couldn't repeat. But um, I do think we all have to be thoughtful about the kinds of the ways we look at other people in the world to try to make sure it doesn't. Well, that's a warning from uh, Kristen Beck and her book in many ways, I guess, is a warning about the past, not allowing the past to repeat itself. A new book, The Winter Orphans, is just out. Congratulations, Kristen, on, Kristen, on that book. Uh, what else would you suggest people read these days? What have you been reading? What other books are on your bedside table? Yeah, sure. This summer I read um, The Force of Vanishing Stars, which is uh, Kristen Harmel's most recent book. And that's also a World War II story. Um, and it's about a young girl who grows up in the forest and um, has to face the Holocaust from the perspective of somebody who grew up in the forest and didn't know what was going on in the world. So it's very interesting. I really enjoyed that. I also read um, Elise Hooper's Fast Girls this summer. And that is about the 1936 Olympics. And it's about a group of women who uh, were athletes and trained and went to the Olympics and their experiences. And I really enjoyed that as well. 